Our reading this evening is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 16, verses 1 through to 18. And that can be found on your church, in your church Bibles on page 1049. So Luke, chapter 16, beginning at verse 1. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions, So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be a manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? Nine hundred gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached, and everyone is forcing their way into it. It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery, and the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And uh, thank you, Lord, for reading for us, and let's pray together now. Father, that's one of the more difficult parables, and we pray you'd give us minds to understand it and wills to apply this to our own lives. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, I have uh, a question are you wealthy? 
Are you wealthy? Now, I guess most of us would probably reply, not especially, or maybe we might reply, actually, really, no, not at all. But it's all relative, isn't it? Anna and I were in Uganda once. We were visiting some mission partners there, wondering if we might become mission partners as well at some point. And uh, next door to the mission partners where we were, who we were staying with, there was a little boy called Simon, a Ugandan guy. He was six. And he had one shirt, plain blue short-sleeved shirt, one pair of shorts, and one toy. The toy was uh, a mango stone somehow attached to a stick which he could run around uh, from here to there and so on, uh, pretending to be this or that. That was all he possessed. And we were rather embarrassed by our heavy suitcases, I have to say. Compared with Simon, we're all wealthy, aren't we? I mean, whatever we have, whatever we own, whether it's a little or a lot, Jesus uh, told a quite difficult to understand parable that we look at this evening. And it is saying this, wield worldly wealth well that's to help you to understand it rather than be a tongue twister okay wield worldly wealth well but let's be clear this is and we're actually um, i'm not going to tackle the last little bit there the additional teachings that is headed i'm just simply going to look at this parable up to verse 15 here and uh, the guys who who know about these things one of them said it bristles with difficulty uh, and another one, probably the most difficult parable in Luke. And there are bits which, which are genuinely puzzling. We'll look at those. But overall, I think it's perfectly clear. It is telling us all, no matter how much wealth we actually have, to wield our worldly wealth well. Now, you may think, when you look at this, this is just a new section. We've had the lost son, or the two sons, uh, last week. And this is something new, but it's not, actually. In our Bibles, in the New International Version, it starts in chapter 16 and verse 1. Jesus told his disciples, in the original, it, it starts with the word and. Or if you've got the English Standard Version, the ESV, it says, he also said. This is actually rather more of a continuing story than you might think. For instance, there's the same master the rich man in verse 1 is the same as the father in the parable of the two sons. There's the same problem. Both parables talk about money and wealth. Uh, the younger son had been wasting it all. So if you look just back at chapter 15 and the end of verse 13, for instance, it says this, and there squandered his, guess what, wealth in wild living. There's the same solution. Life is not about money and uh, what you buy, but it's about eternity and how to be ready for it. There's the same party. The party where the younger son uh, comes home is actually the same party that is referred to in Luke chapter 16 and verse 9. There's the same party. There's the same awkward squad as well. The older son in Luke chapter 15 is very much like the Pharisees in verses 14 and 15 in our story, sneering at Jesus. And so this parable is 
a parable which is a parable which is in some ways has actually been set up by what we were looking at last week. There was a young man who didn't use his wealth well at all. And there was his older brother who didn't use wealth well either. And here in this parable, Jesus is saying to us, wield your worldly wealth well. However much you have, this is not just for the rich, although it is for the rich, it is for every single one of us. And there are four subpoints. First one is this. Use worldly wealth shrewdly. So you look at verse 8, for instance. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Well, what happened? The rich man's manager had been wasting his boss's possessions, so he gets called in, and within 10 minutes he's leaving his office with all his possessions in a cardboard box. It's a Dominic Cummings moment, isn't it? If you remember him walking out of Downing Street with his stuff in a cardboard box. Unemployed and few prospects of another job, certainly in this guy's case. Um, And he calls on each of his master's debtors in order to reduce their debt. So, for instance, you look at the end of verse 5. How much do you owe my master? 3,000 litres of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 1,500. And so on. Now, some think he was actually just writing off his own commission. He probably was employed on a commission basis by his, uh, by his boss. And he was just uh, writing off his own commission. I don't believe that. Because verse 8 calls him a dishonest manager. Not just someone who was giving away his own stuff, but he was saying he was acting dishonestly. And we expect Jesus to condemn him, don't we? Instead, uh, Jesus passes by the dishonesty and praises his shrewdness, as you can see there at the end of verse 8. And what he's saying is, you know, you Christians can be so naive. You've got to act shrewdly in the world. This dishonest manager, um, uh, dishonesty is not being dealt with here. Jesus is saying that I'm not talking about the fact he was dishonest. We've recognized he is, but actually and that's not what I'm talking about. I want to talk to you about the fact that he acted shrewdly. And I imagine if this were an absolutely real story, then Jesus, uh, if it happened, Jesus would deal with the dishonesty as well. But the thing that Jesus focuses on is the fact that he was shrewd. He didn't bury his head in the sand. You know, you and I, we could get into debt. You bury the head in the sand and it just gets worse. This guy recognized the problem and he did something about it. He faced reality. He took initiative. Sometimes we can just sit there and wait for the tidal wave to hit us. Well, this guy took an initiative in order to get out of the forthcoming problem. He prepared for a different future. To use that dreadful phrase from the first lockdown, he acted at pace. And Jesus is saying, actually, you know, those things are good things. Christians sometimes are just too passive. We're, we're waiting for the tsunami to arrive instead of running up the nearest building or getting up a hill or whatever. You know, we say, I'm unemployed, but we don't actually make it our aim to uh, perhaps find a job or get retrained or start a business or whatever it would be. We're, sometimes we do just sit and wait. Sometimes we need to get out and do something as well, don't we? And we need the help of other people, of course, to be doing that. It was John Wesley who said, get all you can, save all you can, give all you can. That's not being passive, is it? 
This guy wasn't passive. That's using whatever worldly wealth you have shrewdly. Shrewdly. Um, I think it would mean, for instance, at an awfully basic level, instead of keeping our money under the bed, we do look for an ISA or something to put it in, for instance. It means that we're careful with our money, so we look after it as well, so we can give away as much as we possibly can. It means, for instance, doing perhaps some research before we make a big purchase. We subscribe to which magazine? Not that I know anything about the tech stuff or anything like that these days, but just simply so that we won't waste our money when we come to make a significant purchase or even an iron. It's the last thing we bought, I think, you know, in terms of that kind of stuff. It it also would mean, for instance, things like uh, shopping around. Where we're moving to up in Norfolk, uh, they don't have any gas in the village, so it's oil for everyone. So I spent a little bit of time finding out where all the oil suppliers are in the area, finding how much it would cost for 500 litres of oil, and finding the cheapest one. Saved 100 quid by doing that, and it didn't take very long. Now, I'm not a particularly shrewd guy. I'm sure you can do much better than that. Might mean perhaps being, uh, for instance, uh, asked if they could bring the price down. So when we looked at removal companies, we got several quotes. That's being shrewd, isn't it? We then worked on the one we would uh, uh, worked out the one we'd like to use, and I asked them if they could re- reduce the price. You know, I'm I'm not I'm not, I'm not a great kind of uh, haggler or anything, um, but I think it's being shrewd, perhaps a little bit shrewd. But I could learn a lot on this area as well. We need to be careful and be shrewd in our use of money. Wield worldly wealth well. That means use worldly wealth shrewdly. It means, second, use worldly wealth spiritually. So you have a look at verse 9, for instance, here. Uh, So verse 9, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What does that mean? It's a bit odd, isn't it? It's a rather unusual way of putting it. Um, uh, But it's, I believe, the key point of the passage. I think it's telling us to use our wealth to win friends who will be there in eternity with you. Use your wealth so others might become Christians. I mean, nothing's more important than that, is it? So that you may better use your money than some of the things we might be tempted to use it on. And who are these friends in verse 9? Have a look at it again. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. Who are those friends? I think they're the people who have benefited spiritually from your money, your wealth. You may never have met them, I guess. Or they may be some of your best friends who you invested in or you've supported through theological college or whatever it would be. Your wealth, such as it is, however small or however great it is, but it's using it well. I've, uh, I, I love this. I came across this. Uh, through my tithes and offerings, I can help lepers in Bangladesh. I can translate the Bible for the Indian tribes in uh, northern Paraguay. I can reach Asians in Wolverhampton. I can provide teaching resources for youth and children's groups in South End. I can reach the underprivileged of Leeds with the gospel. It's John Grusham, the, uh, uh, the author. 
He said this a few years back. My wife and I measure the success of the year on how much we give away. The bulk of it goes to the church and related activities. So, yes, I I think this, this little passage does apply to our giving. And by the way, how much does your giving go towards things which can change eternity? I mean, Anna and I have always sought to tithe, give away 10%, and, uh, uh, and most of it to BH. Uh, but we deliberately hardly give away any money to secular things. We do give away money to cancer research because all four of our parents have had cancer and three of them died of it. But a great bulk we want to give away to help others go to heaven. We want to use our wealth spiritually. But there are other things as well. So, um, for instance, when we were looking for uh, somewhere to live when we retire, our uh, criteria uh, were not something that was, um, what do they say on escape to the country? Um, what's the word I'm thinking of? You know the thing, that the thing that we go, we groan at. Characterful. It's not a word, is it? But anyway, uh, they always seemed, if you ever watch Escape to the Country, they were always after a character full house. We didn't want a character full house. We wanted one with a square lounge. Why do you want a square lounge? Because you can't lead a Bible study in a corridor. And so many houses have corridors for lounges, don't they? You've got, if you're a Christian, it seems to me you've got to have a square lounge, okay? And you've got to have somewhere for people to park outside so they can come to a small group at your house. Uh, and so on. There are lots of other things. Of course, the most important thing is being near a good church. I would love to go and escape to the country. What are your criteria? Well, we want a square lounge, parking, and we must be near a good Bible teaching church. I wonder what they'd make of that. But I'd love to go and escape to the country and uh, do that. It's probably a bit late now, but there we are. Um, but uh, those, that's using your wealth spiritually, isn't it? So that actually you can help others. So that, 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 that you're, in our case, a house. Uh, is going to actually help other people go to glory, to grow, to maturity in Christ, and so on. Um, and, and actually, for the for the uh, for the you know things like the donkey sanctuary, well, personally, I think there are lots of folks who are not Christians can support the donkey sanctuary. I've got nothing against the donkey sanctuary. Donkeys are lovely. I genuinely like donkeys. It's okay. Um, but uh, actually, we want to give the very bulk of our money to help people go to glory. And actually through cancer research to help people to live longer so they'll hear the gospel to go to glory. Genuinely. So uh, uh, use worldly wealth well. First, use worldly wealth shrewdly. Second, use worldly wealth spiritually. Third, use worldly wealth trustworthily. I'm not sure that's a word, but you know what I mean. Uh, And that's verses 10 to 12. There is an assessment going on here. Now, we're all familiar with assessments, aren't we? You know, uh, an annual review or perhaps someone in the police taking sergeant's exams or GCSEs coming up or whatever it is. There is, I believe, this passage is telling us also an assessment of how well we handle our worldly wealth, however much we do or don't have so you look at verse 11 here so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth who will trust you with true riches and what are the true riches they've got to be spiritual haven't they they've got to be things which outlast death 
So I think what Jesus is saying here is that our wealth, our possessions, our money, are a responsibility. If you like, they're a test of our character. They're a test of our values. They're a test of our stewardship. So how are we going to use what God has given us? Carl Henry wrote this. I don't think that God despises riches. In fact, he gives them to us. What he despises is the misuse of them and he rewards stewardship. Even Christian missions owe a great debt to the consecrated and often sacrificial philanthropy giving of well-to-do Christian leaders. What we need to do is enlarge the vision and burden of those to whom God has given much so uh, they understand that they have an opportunity that is rare in the history of Christianity to substantially advance the way of Christ. But do you see that phrase? He rewards stewardship. What Jesus is saying is if, if we haven't been faithful with our money, then God isn't going to be entrusting us with true spiritual riches, which I take to be the care of souls, which I take to be maybe becoming a trustee of, say, JHMT here, our, our, our mission branch, uh, the way that we give money away from BH, maybe a leadership role. I think what it's saying is our use of money is a significant window into our soul. Our use of money tells us and others how we're doing spiritually. It reveals perhaps if we're ready for Christian leadership, whether we're ready for Christian responsibility. I mean, if you apply for the Church of England to be ordained, for instance, they do a little bit of... uh, Uh, asking you some questions about your financial situation. I think there should be more. I think there should be some proper financial questions asked. Maybe we should do that for interviews for staff posts here. Maybe they should do it for the next vicar here, but I'm not allowed to influence that. But, uh, um, um, But pastors should use money well, shouldn't we? I mean, Christian leaders of any sort should use our money well, pay our bills on time, get the tax return in, avoid debt and so on. Because the way we use whatever wealth we have is a window into our souls. And we want to use money well. We want to use it trustworthily. So let's use our worldly wealth shrewdly, spiritually, trustworthily, And then the final thing is to say this. Don't serve worldly wealth, but God. Uh, The former bishop of Liverpool, J.C. Ryle, wrote this. Riches, they often inflict great injury on the soul. They lead people into many temptations. They engross people's thoughts and affections. They bind heavy burdens on the heart and make the way to heaven more difficult than it naturally is is you see there's a possibility there are two possibilities that we see in this passage one is to use our worldly wealth well in those three ways the other is to actually let it rule us and for our worldly wealth or mammon as it can be translated to become our king our god 
And that is exactly what the Pharisees have been doing, which is why Jesus refers to them in verses 14 and 15 in that challenge. He says, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. I guess they would have counted their money, they'd have been looking at their bank balance, they'd be looking into the things that money could buy, they rather liked having their cake and eating it. They would have seemed very spiritual outwardly, and they would have been probably pretty wealthy. And they thought that they were able to serve God and money at the same time. And Jesus says, God knows your hearts. Jesus says here, God knows if your God is wealth. And God knows if your God is not God. Jesus knows if God is your religion. And that's all. Just a religion. Just something you do on Sundays to make you feel good and Jesus knows if actually your God is your wealth and this is a warning saying you can only have one God you can't have two it's either God or not God God is not to be shared. Which is your God. I wonder, when you have friends around, say they come for a meal, or maybe you go out for coffee, or uh, you just catch up with people and so on, what do you talk about? What do you talk about? Is it worldly wealth? Is it the stuff that money will buy? I've got an old friend, he's, uh, he's passed away now. But whenever um, he came to stay, he's not a Christian. The conversation would always be about worldly wealth. There are times, of course, when, uh, you know, you would talk about worldly wealth. Perhaps you're buying a car, you need some advice. Maybe you're buying a house or there is some other significant expenditure. But are they your life? A holiday is your life. Quite striking the Christmas letters we were sent this year. Some of them, it seemed that life was just uh, a series of highs, which were the holidays, linked by things that you didn't really want to talk about very much. Life was the holidays. Life was the holidays were their life, really. Well, when we meet with Christian friends, I do hope you manage to talk about spiritual things. Because they're so much more important. Because they're so much more significant. You can't serve God and your wealth. Where's your heart? Is it on the Lord? Is it on your wealth? This is one thing, isn't it, where Christians really should stand out from the world around. We should be a group of people who wield worldly wealth well for the glory of God.
And I would hope that people might see that and people might find that attractive. And uh, BH, yeah, they're, they're, they're a, they've got a real focus on God, haven't they? Though? Wouldn't it be great if people thought of us like that? Wouldn't it be great if they thought that a suitable epitaph on your gravestone was he, she? Yeah, they used worldly wealth well. So let's pray that we might be people with the worldly wealth that we have, such as it is, that we would use it shrewdly and spiritually, trustworthily, and that we would serve God and not the wealth that we have or the wealth that we would like. Let's pray. Father, please, 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 living in a world which has got just so much stuff throwing at us all the time about worldly wealth, we pray that you'd help us to realign our thinking. And please, Lord, help us to use the stuff that you've given us well. For Jesus' sake. Amen. We're going to